We're almost there, you guys. 300 episodes. And to celebrate, on November 6th, I'm doing a big, big panel here in Los Angeles at Largo at the Coronet. Uh, Again, November 6th, Carlton Cuse, Mike Shore, Damon Lindelof, Marta Kaufman, Hart Hansen, Jane Esmondson, Doug Petrie, David Fury, Liz Tiglar, Bridget Carpenter, Andrew Miller, and more. So many people, uh, there are not enough chairs at Largo. So I have to go out and rent them. So please come. Come celebrate 300 episodes of the Writers Panel with me, with these old pals. Some new pals will be there. Uh, That is on November 6th. Before that, I have a couple of events coming in October. On Sunday, October 30th, I'll be at EW Pop Fest. That's Entertainment Weekly's Pop Fest in Los Angeles, which has an insane lineup, and I can't believe they invited me to be part of it. I'm going to be doing a live panel with a very special guest that I will announce soon. Uh, Check that out. And then, as I said, November 6th is the writer's panel live at Largo at the Coronet 300th episode celebration. All of the information for all of these can be found at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And follow me on Twitter. I'll be talking about them uh, as we get close to them and as they happen. Uh, That's at Ben Blacker on Twitter. Hope to see you at one of these, or all of these, live events. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner, Ben Acker, for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Like the color, only more so. Uh, and follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Please welcome all of our panelists. Uh, let's very quickly go down the line, starting here with you, Barbara. Uh, just introduce yourself so the podcast listener knows what you sound like, and tell us what you are working on right now. Tell us your show. Okay, I'm Barbara Hall, and I'm the creator, executive producer of Madam Secretary. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I have a thing. My, I'm Joan Rader. I'm the creator and executive producer of Doubt, which is... Uh, uh, mid-season show that's coming on sometime. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Aline Brosh McKenna. I'm the co-creator, executive producer of um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I'm Jenny Snyder Ehrman, and I am the creator, executive producer of Jane the Virgin. <laughs> I'm Corinne Brinkerhoff, and I'm creator and executive producer of No Tomorrow. 
Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, I want to, I told you I'd give you a very easy uh, question to which there is a correct answer to start. Um, and I want to start down here with you, Corinne. <coughs> what? So you guys all have shows going on right now, and I think it would illuminate the process for us if you could tell us what you did today. What did you do on your show today? Oh, my gosh. I, 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 I actually had a moment where I was like, I, can, I, can everyone just not... Can you just give me 15 seconds? Because there were 25 questions at once at one point. It was a crazy day because we premiered last night. Oh. Um, there was some sort of bizarre transmission error, and the uh, music mix was uh, completely low for anybody who had DirecTV, which was oh. devastating, oh. Um, but is being fixed. Um, and so, uh, so that was the first thing up. Um, so let me, let me ask that, and I apologize. I'm going to uh, interrupt all of you guys a number of times. But <laughs> when that happens... Does it get like five minutes into the show and then you're, you're just getting text out. alerts? Well, no, because I, I was watching and we were watching, we screened it at a, this pub near my house and I just figured it was the, they just had a bad system. And so this morning I, get, I got up and watched it on DirecTV and it was exactly the same. It wasn't as though it was gone completely, but it clearly wasn't what was in playback. Uh, yeah. And it was, and so everybody kind of all hands on deck started. So what, what do you as the person in charge of this show do? What's your job? <laughs> because it was also, oh, he yeah, had the direct, same director as Jane the Virgin, Brad Silverling, who's so incredibly talented and also so careful and meticulous about music. Uh, and music was key to the, uh, to the comedy, to the to the emotion, and it was just absent for certain people who saw the show. So it was, it I was, know. right? Um, just, so do you start so making upset. angry phone calls in the morning, or is it a direct? I don't TV really phone? get angry. I just get, I just get sad. <laughs> I was just sad. Yeah. No, and I, and I immediately thought, who can help me with this? I don't know the engineering that will, so, that will solve this particular quandary, but uh, somebody does. So we just started digging in, and, and they uh, figured it out. Or it's in the, something? It's in the works, yeah. All right, so you deal with that. That takes up a lot of your, your morning and probably much mm-hmm. of your day. Mm-hmm. What episode are you on? What are you doing on this episode? We're breaking 10, so we spent a couple hours on that today. Um, did notes on episode four, script notes on... No, no cut notes on four, script notes on seven, and broke uh, 10. Uh, so pretty normal. And then you yeah. came here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jenny, what did your day look like? We, now, Jenny and I did an uh, hour-long interview at one point, and you guys should go back and listen to it. It was so much fun. I loved it anyway. And <laughs> the thing, my biggest takeaway from it was that you keep, try to keep a sane schedule for yourself. That's what you got that's from That's so strange that you took that away. That's not. Are you that's still, the opposite of yeah, me. Yeah, that's someone else. Yeah. You, but you would, you would try no. to break the room, right, and then go home? Oh, I think there was a misunderstanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I mean, we try to break the room, and then sometimes I put the kids to bed, and then I come back right. at 8.30 at night and work until, like, 1. And then I usually wake up at 6 and start again. Was today one of those days? Today was a day I, let's see, I got into the edit on 3.04 at 8. Then I worked on that till 9.30. Then I went to give notes at 9.30 on 3.03, which I'm still working on. Then I went into the room at 10, and I spent about a half an hour going through stories with the writers. Then I went back into 3.04, and I edited there till about 3 o'clock. Then I went to a mix at 3.30, um, from 3.30 to 5. Then I came here and pitched a show, and now I'm here. <laughs> 
Yeah, a sane schedule, yeah. like yeah. I said. And I have, like, five hours of writing to do tonight, for sure. Oh, we'll keep this quick, then. Yeah, so I, I, no, but I'm so interested in this takeaway. I'm going to listen to myself on the podcast. You how relaxed I must have been. You, it must, I think we were between seasons. I mean, there's definitely something wrong. Like, something's missing, because, yeah. Also, I'm pretty positive you'd rather be here than doing the five hours of writing, right? Except that it has to get done anyway, so uh, it's just... Doing it, yeah. Well, how much writing do you generally take on? You know, you do passes, and, and there's so many documents and so many things. So, I mean, it's a lot. It ends up being a lot because you want everything to sound as though it has the same voice. And, um, you know, it depends on the difficulty of the script and uh, so many different factors. But I feel like the, you know, it's, a, it's part of the process, definitely. Gotcha. What'd you do today? Well, I remember you asked me this question last time we were here, and I, I really thought about last time I had just started and I was overwhelmed I didn't you know unlike most of the uh, ladies here I had not sort of come up through the ranks of being doing tv stuff I come from doing movies so last year was just like a shock to me about how many things that you have to be doing at the same time and and the way our show is our writer's room our editing and our stages are all very close to each other so I spend a lot of the day ricocheting around um you know my feeling is like the the engine room of the show is the writer's room um, certainly for us. So that's where I try and concentrate my time. But we're now in a thing where we have lots of cuts coming in. And because we do the musical stuff, sometimes we have things that come in late or we had a, a dancer sprained his ankle, so we had to move the schedule for something. So we have had cuts that have been in some state of flux for a while. So um, I had a situation where we were turning in cuts Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just oh, like yeah, things yeah. that needed various <laughs> things. So trying to say to the editors, hey, I'm going to come in at 9, I'll come, I'll bop over to your place. Then I'll... But today was actually a really great, great day because... Most of the time, once we start production, I lose Rachel, who's our you know co-creator and my partner and, and the actor on the show, and I lose her, and so she's not in the writer's room most of the time, um, and she's not in post with me most of the time. So mainly what I do is I kind of curate the stuff from the writer's room and from the editing for her to look at, because so, she doesn't have, her time is so limited, and she can't look at everything. But today, she, um, we were shooting a musical number with... Um, Vincent Rodriguez for most of the day and so she was able to be with us and it's for us it's like the great delight of you know the, we wanted to do the show to, because we love working with each other so much and we never get to see each other we're sort of the Romeo and Juliet of the show because we're always in different places and we're always we miss each other and they try and the producers try and the line producer tries to keep me away from her and the 80s try and keep me away from her because when we see each other we're just like oh we want to talk you. we want to talk about the show and so today was like a great day we had we have um we have 10 writers usually and then we have two consultants um and so we had everybody except for one one set of producers was on set with the episode but everybody else was there and rachel was with us so rachel and i went to i first grabbed her we did notes on um, we did some revisions on 209. Then we went and looked let me, at let me 205. For yep. a sec. When you're doing, when you're sitting there doing notes with Rachel, yeah. what does that process look like? We're sort of twin speak. Like we're, it's like <laughs> Nell, but with two people. We just have been doing it for so long that when we get into it, it's like, blah, 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 blah. and so we just sat at my stand-up desk together and went through it and, like, changed little things and pitched things. And because she's an actor, sometimes she likes to sort of, 
put things into her words in a certain way, and then we kind of just chunked through stuff. So that was really fun. And then we went, finished up on some stuff on 205, finished up some stuff on 206, some editorial stuff, and then we were able to go back to the room and do some of the breaking for 210 and 211. And it's just really fun for everybody to have her there. Um, there's always she's she really is person who I'm mostly the person who types and she's the one who bops around and sings and it's kind of what, if you've watched the show what you imagine Rachel is like in a writer's room is what Rachel's like in a writer's room um, doing bits and like what you actually get stuff done doing bits and eating today she ate a pudding cake thing and it was all over her shirt and um, and it's it's just it's it's really fun to have her there because most days it's just you know um, trying to you know, find her to reach across the best to do. And, and we do most of the writer's room without her there. So today was a really, really fun day. Is the room as productive without her there? The room is, um, well, it's different because when she's there, when we're there, we, we tend to focus more on, like, bigger, bigger picture stuff. And then um, when... Uh, you know, when, and, and, you know, like I said, 95% of the time she's not there. So we're kind of cranking stuff out on a rate, and you know, it has to get done. And we've gotten much better at, um, you know, that it was, our show is such a weird out of the box show that it took us like five or six episodes last year to really figure out what we were doing at all. And so that first part was really in Coed. And the, the nice thing about a second season is you kind of, you know, everybody knows kind of the zone that you're in. Um, but then, we also have a thing that's peculiar to our show, which is we have these dance concept meetings, and I don't know why we call them that, because they're not dance, but they're, everything related to the music video has its own little meeting, which mm-hmm. is a subset. And we, I don't know if people know this, but we have one choreographer that does every single thing that we do on the show, and last year we did 49 pieces of music. She choreographs everything. She won the Emmy this year. Um, and so it's always fun to do those, to have those meetings. That's just a fun thing that's unique to our show. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that it's one person. One person. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, and let me just wrap up before yeah. we move on. Um, how long is your, what's your shooting schedule? Seven days. Like, like regular people. Like regular people. <laughs> I mean, the songs are the same. Here, here's the interesting thing about shooting a song is if they're two minutes long, they're two minutes long. So a scene, mm-hmm. you know, when you shoot a scene, it's like you want it to be two minutes long, but it could turn out to be three and a half minutes long or one thirty, whatever. But the songs are the length that they are. So even though they can be very... Con- like, we've, there's been days where we did a 12-hour day for a two-minute song, um, and that means then the rest of the episode has to be tighter. But sometimes we shoot a whole song in three hours or four hours, depending on how we have to cover it. But we've gotten to be... That was another thing where last year it was just like... You know, that expression, building a boat at sea. It was just like we were in the middle of the ocean with, like, random pieces of wood trying to figure it out. And it was, it was funny. It, it, there were a lot of just humorous stuff that went on last year where I really didn't know what I was doing because un, unlike these uh, other ladies, I really had not come up doing that on a day-to-day basis. I really had just been a writer. So I relied so much on... Um, we have another executive producer, Aaron Ehrlich, and our line producer, Sarah Kaplan. It's all it's all women. And then Jenny was one of the people that I would call and say, like, how am I, you know, how can I do this? How do you do this? And you know, often the answer is like, you think like, well, what is the easy answer for like, I need to be in three places at the same time all the time? And there isn't an there isn't an easy answer. You know, the answer is that um, you can't be everywhere all the time, and you have to trust other people. Um, and you, you know, I think 
you, you also have to find a way to not exhaust yourself because I think you're finding us all in a stage. I don't know what stage you guys are in, but like I'm so effing tired. <laughs> and it's not even so much that like I'm not getting hours of sleep. It's just that I don't, I can't read a book yeah. at all. I mean, that's not happening. I, I don't have attention span. I really only have the energy to like be somewhat present for my family, but you know, uh, moderately, but, um, you just, you, you know, you come home and you have six more hours of cuts to look at and videos of this and that, and this thing to read and that outline to look at. And, and it's, even if you can fit it into, you know, a schedule where you can still sleep from 11 to six thirty or something, it's, it's very, um, training's not quite the right word. It's just, it's, you just are by you're so relentless. Well, I want I want to ask uh, I want to ask Joan and Barbara both. I mean, you guys have put in your hours. You've you've done a lot of TV and you've done shows where you're doing 22, 24 episodes a year. How do you choose where to spend your time? Um, How do you learn that? Well, so by the way. I worked for Barbara. We did Madam TV together. Secretary. Yes. <laughs> How much? Uh, I'm Madam Secretary. Oh. Um, anyway, uh, so I work with my husband. We're a writing team. We're a partnership. And we are lucky in that we have absolutely opposite skill sets. <laughs> what he's good at, I'm terrible at, and vice versa. I mean, it's... it's what, what are those? So I'm a good writer. He's not. <laughs> So, but he's really good at like looking pretty story, but he's not good at writing it. I would be like, we have this. We used to try to pretend that he was, and he would do his scenes and give them back to me, and he'd go, "I think they're pretty good," and I go, "That's that's the mark." Pretty good, like. You don't want to make them great? Uh, and he's like, you know what? You do them, Joan. Oh, I am, you know, it was bad. Um, but anyway, we have learned over the years that he's really good at breaking story. He's really good at cast, at everything. I like to sit like a weirdo and eat my hair and be in a writer's room. And that's, you know, that's where I'm happiest. That's where I want to be all day. I just want to write. Now, I can't do that, but I... We have this great sort of ability to sh- job share a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did, we do that. You know, we did that today. I had a day a lot like your guys' day. There was a notes call. There was re-breaking an episode that's due Friday. You know, like that kind of thing. And that this is episode 10. If this had been episode, you know, this is my first show. Everything has to be perfect. So if this was 103, I would be like full tilt panic, choking on my own panic. But now I know that it's going to be fine. Like I know what needs to get done. It's just a lot of work that needs to get done before here and when it's, you know, good. It's interesting, though. I mean, you mentioned this is your first show, but you've done, what, a million episodes of Grey's Anatomy as well as Madam Secretary, a number of shows. There's something different this with what I'm your show. Here's yeah. the thing that's really funny. I say, now when I go into my office and close the door, I actually work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm the whole time. 
fine. <laughs> you know, and I don't really mind. You know, like it's not a lot of like, oh my God, I was working on this scene all morning and mostly checking Facebook. Like I'm actually <laughs> working. Um, but it's just different when it's your show. Like when it was Shonda's show, it was her vision. There was this sort of passivity I could fall into of like, well, it's her show, not my fucking show. <laughs> you know, like she'll figure it out. Even though I was running it, you know, I could sort of fall back emotionally on that. There's no emotional fallback here. Yeah. Uh, Barbara, I want to mention uh, just on shows that you've created, mm-hmm. you've got over 200 episodes. Yeah, that's a lot. Of that's a lot. <laughs> I'm tired. In a short span of time, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what did you do today? Okay, what I did today was, well, first of all, we have a unique situation uh, here, I think, in that we have writers and post-production in Los Angeles and production in New York. So that automatically creates an extra thing we have to deal with. So uh, the, this morning I came in, and we are breaking episode uh, 12. I am writing episode 11. Oops, I touched my microphone. I am writing episode 11, and uh, we are prepping episode 10. So um, I came in and I checked in with all of that to see the episode 10 was published last night. I wanted to see if anything we had any feedback from it. I checked in with the room to see how they were doing with episode 12, and I stayed there for a few minutes looking at that. Then I forced myself to go write some of episode 11. <laughs> And Wait, so then, you went into your office. Yes. I'm going to dig and in I, on this And I worked bit. the whole time. This is my like, question. <laughs> How much were you on Facebook? How much I were you I wasn't on Facebook because I'm on such a, a tight yeah. schedule with this because what I have to do is leave in a few days to go back to New York where I will be for a month and a half. So I'll be away from the writer's room and all of that for a month and a half. So I have to get everything in place before I do that. Um, and to answer your question sort of earlier, how do you get it all done, yeah. you have a schedule and the schedule is king and you uh and then you have a system to serve the schedule and you those two things as long as you are serving them things will run along because something's going to go wrong anyway but you've got my thing is that i always just serve the schedule we're always either on it or ahead of it um and uh and you know because from the minute you turn the camera on you're making a movie every eight days or seven days in some cases and um, that's not going to stop. And so you can't either. And so you're just serving the schedule. So my schedule today was what I did. I gave myself a deadline if I wanted to finish Act 2 today on my own writing. Mm-hmm. Then we had a, a... So let me ask you on that. How, how long did you spend in your office to finish Act 2? Well, when I came in, I had written a scene or two for, for Act 2. So... Um, because I had to keep going into the writer's room. I also got a notes call on a cut, so we had to go there. The network thought of a cut we'd turned in. Then after we did those notes, we I called New York and talked to other producers and directing producers in New York. I talked to them about how they felt about the notes that we were going to do and, and see if we agreed on our approach to that on the cut. Then I went back to my writing. So I would say between, you know, um, going back to it and leaving and coming back, I probably spent about... Uh, two or three hours working on. So it's a good chunk of time. Yes. Um, And have you, has doing it made it easier to shift gears? Because that's just part of the process now? Yeah, it's something that you have to learn how to do. I mean, I used to be um, 
I really used to have to isolate to write. Mm -hmm. I had to create this cocoon around myself, and sometimes I would check into a hotel and get room service and stuff. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> you, have, you have, it can't be precious anymore. I have to be able to stop, go look at the cut, go back. What was my thought process and at the time, and be able to switch gears like that. And, and remind me, what season, uh, Madam Secretary? Is in? this is the third season? Okay, so this day was must have been fairly typical for you. I mean, it must be a well-oiled machine by now. Yes, it's a it's a well-oiled machine. It was pretty typical. Some days we get really loaded up with stuff where I might not have gotten to, to do any writing. Mm -hmm. um, so then those days, I either have to say, well, I'll do some writing tonight or I'll do it over the weekend. Sometimes you have to push it aside to your own free time. So, um, But it's pretty typical. From you know, it's, it's a little like triage when you come in. You go, what needs uh, to be addressed the most? You know? <laughs> and, um, and so you just follow you know, what, what's the most immediate need in front of you. Gotcha. So. Um, I want to ask you guys, uh, Jenny, you mentioned just today pitching a show. Um, and all of you are running shows that I assume you pitched. Uh, I'd like to hear about your pitching, how you pitch, what your process is. Let's start with you, Jenny, and maybe um, tell us about the show you pitched no, today. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't have to go um, into detail, but what was the pitch well, like? It, when I, before I pitch, I just like to know exactly almost every beat of the pilot, and I end up pitching the pilot is really... It ends up taking, like, 40, 45 minutes, take them through the whole first act. Uh, then I take everyone through the stories for the rest of the show uh, and then go into, like, long-term where things are going to be. But I like to... I don't like to come in... I, I like to almost outline it so that right from the pitch I can just, like, almost go right... Like, the outline's almost done. Um, and so I, I usually tend to pitch late in the season because I wait till it's all worked out because I feel like from my process is that I'd have to make the material as sort of airtight and good as I can possibly make it before I put it out anywhere. So, you know, before we turn in a cut, all the writers get it and write their notes on it. I do all that, those, and then when I give it to this, they get, they get what I think is the final mm -hmm. cut. And we do that with material, and I do that with pitches, too. Is I, don't, I like to come in when, it's, when I feel like it. It's all done. And you go about 45 minutes on yeah, it? That's yeah. That's a long pitch. I know. I know. I tell everyone to take a bathroom break, and then we start. <laughs> but it seems to be working. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes it easier when I'm right. Everybody always knows exactly what show they're buying because I've just pitched it, and then it makes the process go a lot smoother after. Mm -hmm. um, but I always, like, I one time had started a project that I thought I I, I kind of see that I couldn't totally see it, but I liked the ideas enough, and then went down to put pen to paper and it wasn't like couldn't find it so I, I never want to put myself in that position again I always want to know if I'm going in to do something it's something I can already see the finish line on I'm curious about pitching Jane and what that looked like I mean it's it seems like it's a hard show to talk about it looked like the pilot on. I mean it really, really I really pitched the pilot um, the only thing I didn't pitch was um, all the type ons and stuff mm -hmm. because that was something that when I watched the first cut I felt like it was playing a little too straightforward, so um, I just started to type things on and freeze the screen and put all these visuals, and then I called Brad and our director, and I was like, I just kind of tore up the first act. If you hate it, we'll go back. And then he, he really liked it, so then we continued to do that. So that was all stuff I added in the edit of the, um, of the pilot, but everything else I pitched. So how are you getting tone across in that pitch specifically? Because well, again, it's not there aren't many touchstones for well, it. Well, I'm laughing, and you know, I'm indicating when things are serious with my voice, um, uh, and then you know, I'm 
like really animated and I'm saying, oh no, can you believe that? But we're over here. So, you know, you just kind of try to take them through it as, as well as you can. And then, you know, you talk about tone a little bit uh, as, as you can do. But you hope that. I think if you're pitching the opening of your show, like you're hoping that the tone is kind of baked in there. Yeah. Like when you're going from looking at a telenovela, which they love, and then you're going inside the screen and then you're seeing another guy who could have been the star of a telenovela. I'm telling them all of that and I'm telling them all the three worlds that we're going to be inhabiting and all of that. So I'm hope- hopeful that they get the tone when I and pitched it. Can I say, because I worked for Jenny on, on Jane and I was there when she pitched, see, when you pitched season two, the whole, or the, no, season one, the whole arc. Yeah, the, the whole. whole. And it's a performance. It's like, it's funny and you're laughing and you're crying and you feel like, it feels like the show. Uh, like her, you know, her depiction of the show in, a, in pitch form. It's really, it, I, the, the low point really of my year it. last year, <laughs> low point of my year last year, high point of Corinne's was when she had two shows picked up and I had to say goodbye to her at the writing room. So well, this is the way you want to leave a show with, like, everyone so sad that you're going, but so happy for you. You know, like, uh. She got me a cake. It was the nicest. It was so I mean, My tears were all over it. <laughs> it was like, it's, 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 Salty it's, sweet. Don't go. Don't go. Congrats. Don't, but yeah, but, oh, no. It was really sweet. Was Corinne, really did sweet. you, were you able to take lessons from seeing Jenny pitch? Oh, yeah. I learned so much from Jenny. I continue to because I text her all the time, like, What's, what do I do here? What is this? You know, I'm hopefully not too much. No, no. Especially the first go-round on American Gothic. I was just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just trial by fire. It's, it's so much. It was so much so fast. I really had no idea because I'd been, you know, I'd been a co-EP for several years. But it's really just 1% yeah. of what is going to be required. Um, and, and I was the same way where I would love to just, like, hole up and be so kind of precious and in particular about my process. And now we're just like, I'll take, and I'll take six minutes to write one scene, and that's just, so I, I cherish it. Yeah. Um, that's the thing that was most startling to me is how little time was actually available to write and to be in the room, which was the only thing I felt equipped to do. <laughs> and suddenly it's the thing I have the least actual bandwidth for. Or there's just everything else is more demanding and, and there's so much management and there's so much talking about budget and schedule and things that were completely above my pay my pay grade up until totally. up until then. So Well yeah, I mean we've we've heard it said that you are suddenly put in charge of this multi million dollar corporation. You're suddenly a CEO, not just a writer. Um, I, I'd like to hear more about how all of you kind of learn to to do that. <laughs> Joan, let's start with you. <laughs> Learn to what? Which part? To, to manage people, to manage budget, to so, manage well, all of it. Well, I learned, I think, on Grace because Shonda is a really good manager of people, and we had a really good staff, and I kind of just do what she did, uh, you know, honestly. What, and what did she do? So she would hire really good writers and tell stories, you know, we just tell funny stories in the writer's room, and... We aren't precious about breaking it up. You know, there's a lot of rewriting that goes on. There's sometimes a group write. You know, we're, I'm just sort of used to uh, sort of being able to uh, look at something. It's not working at all. Let's redo it. I'm like really like a baby with the bathwater person. And uh, I know that it's not scary because I've been through it so many times and I know it's going to be okay in the end. I think that some of the writers who haven't worked this way uh, are scared of it and really upset. But now we've gone through, we're on episode nine, and they're starting to trust the process. Um, I don't know. She's just fun and nice, and it's a good place to work, and we don't have crazy hours. I, you know, I have two kids, all those things. That, that all makes a happy workplace. <laughs> it, makes it, it makes you want to get it done. Um, 
Barbara, I'm curious, uh, which came first, Judging Amy or Joan? Uh, judging Amy. Um, so you were, again, thrown into this uh-huh. role. You had w- sort of worked on a number of different shows. Mm-hmm. What did you take from the shows you had previously worked on to apply to your first show running job? Well, I had some great um, television teachers, too. I worked for Josh Brand and John Falsey uh, on a number of their shows. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for David Chase, on um, one of Brand Falsey's shows, but he was running it. And they all had a similar approach, which is, um, although they never articulated it this way, it became my rule, which is you're all on the side of the show. That's what you're on the side of. You're not on the side of sort of currying favor here or there or your star moving out in front of other people's. You're all on the side of the show because if the show works, everybody wins. And, uh, you know, and, and Rand Falsey, in fact, taught me, you know, if you, because they didn't want to run everything through their typewriter or computer. Um, and so, but they were very, very tough. And their thing is, if, if you do a good job, if you figure out how to do a good job, we will shoot your words. And there's no better motivation than that. And so I felt, um, oh, I'm taking that with me when I go. <laughs> and um, and they you able to do that? Yes, and that's, that's, really that's, that's what I do. Because, and it also made the voices of the show so much richer because there were, there were a variety of people. Mm-hmm. There's a template that you do not stray from. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, uh, you could, other voices would come in. And I remember there was one moment when I was, I mean, I really was baptism by fire when I started working with um, Josh and John because there was only one other writer on the show that I was working on called A Year in the Life, and that was Robin Green, who went on to be Robin Green and Mitch Burgess of The Sopranos. We became friends. And I was just... You guys were the only writers on it? And and Josh and John, but we did most of it. And... um, and one time he called me to his office to talk to me about a rewrite, and he was sort of telling me what he wanted. And I said, I get, I get what my job is. My job is to do what you would do if you had time. <laughs> and he said, I, I, I think your job's more than that. And I said, oh, no, no, it's not. It's not. No, I get it. And, I, and, you know, as long as you're working for someone you admire, that's fine. Trying to figure out what he does and then later working with David, uh, David Chase and figuring out what his system was and his voice was and, and, and imitating that and learning from that, that was great. And then when it became my turn, I sort of used a lot of things that I learned, which is they were great delegators. I mean, they were hard on writers, but they were great delegators. Once people got it, they just let them do it. And I just found that, talking about the people management skills and all that, one of the first things I learned was, you know, hire people you trust and let them do their jobs because you need to take your hands off of the stuff that are in good hands because otherwise you're going to wear yourself out. I mean, you know, you, 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 come, you come in, you trust people to do their job, you absolutely have a say and you come in and, you know, you give them the template. Um, but you're going to burn yourself out if, you, if you've, you don't surround yourself with people you trust. And then I use the, we're all on the side of the show. And then the idea that everybody's job is the hardest job is the other thing that I talk about because you, you really have to sort of treat it like that and believe it and not let people get bogged down in how overwhelming their own jobs are because <clears throat> we're all working at that level, trying to work at that level. And those are some of the things I learned. And then, you know, one thing I took from parenting <laughs> is always try to be the calmest person in the room. And that's absolutely, that's that comes from, that's your job to just, you know, <laughs> However, you can find that in yourself yeah. to, to do that. Um, Aline, you're in season two now. Yeah. And you've talked a little bit about the differences and the learning curve. Um, I'm curious to know, 
What are, what are the big things? What are the are there big changes that you initiated between one and two? Oh, process-wise, yeah. No, we we kind of got. I, I would say I learned it all. M- most of it is learning last season and then sort of carrying it forward. Mm-hmm. I would say it took us about five or six or seven episodes. It's interesting because you ha- you do have to earn the writer's trust in you that it's going to be good. And in in our case, the show is so idiosyncratically written that we can't. It's very hard for us to delegate any of the writing duties, really. So everything is, uh, you know, is my keys are on everything. And when it started, because I had been a feature writer, I was not accustomed to writing in a room full of people. And I would just be, the screen would be up and I would just be writing. And people would be like, what is she doing? And I would just be doing, yeah, and I would just be doing it. So I I learned, like, to explain to people, okay, this is what we're doing today. This is how we're rewriting this. You know, this is, a draft came in. Like, everybody, it's funny, it's like the thing that Mike Nichols says about directing Everybody who is a showrunner, I think, is very curious about other people. However, it's, he says it's like sex. Like, you just are really interested in to know how other people do it. Um, but ultimately, you have to find the system that works for you. And for us, it's about, for me, it's about the scripts and the cuts are really the things that I need to make sure that those are a thousand percent. And if somebody shows up in a blouse that's not like the best blouse, it's like, that, that's okay. You know, so you, you have to learn about... Um, how to, and I also do like, um, so we write, I write in a room with, with my writers who are amazing. And then as I'm doing that, things pop up to approve. And I just do that with the writers because the fun thing for them is like, they're all going to be showrunners. And so it's, it's actually fun and interesting for them to be like four costumes come in and I pick one and, you know, they'll, they'll weigh in or, you know, approving music stuff or whatever. I just do it all with them sitting there. And that way I don't have to step out and step back in. And they're all producers, really. Even I treat the staff writer like they're producers. And so it's, it's, it's a nice um, kind of collaborative, convivial thing that we're all kind of doing this stuff together. They all feel like a lot of ownership on the show. And then, there, you know, one of the things about having a staff is there's a nice hive mind thing that happens and I think the thing with the staff is, like, their input is great, and you really want to, like, listen to them and get impact. But at the end of the day, it's about what, what we want to do, what Rachel and I want to do. And I think that is where 20 years of being a screenwriter and doing my own thing has come in handy because I'm sort of able to say, like, that's great, that's great, I hear you, I'm doing this. And one thing I will say I've gotten better at doing was in the beginning, I would spend time going, that's not a good idea, let me tell you why, which is not a good use of anybody's time, and it does not contribute to the team spirit. (laughs) Um, But I'm such a direct communicator that it took a while for me to figure out how to hear a million pitches and just keep going, you know, and sort of like, you know, say things like, we'll come back to that, or, um, you know, just things that you say that, so you don't have to, because if you're going to hit every tennis ball over the net, you're, you're going to be exhausted, so just keeping the, um, the, the room going and them understanding what your vision is, and then more episodes you do, you know, sometimes, like they do, um, so I struggle, I don't, everybody shows different, but I struggle for things for them to do when I'm not there. So it's like, what's the room going to do while I'm not there? And one thing that we found that's great is they can do punch-up. And, you know, if you're doing a comedy, if you get, if you do a day's worth of punch-up and you get seven jokes, that's incredible, you know? So they do these documents for me where they, you know, here's the line as is, and then here are two or three alts. 
and they've started putting things in there they know I'm going to hate just to see <laughs> the face, or like really super filthy things, um, just because it's funny for them to watch me read the document <laughs> and get to it and be like, we are not doing this joke about cock rings, guys. It's not happening. Um, and then they're all like laughing. And so, um, you know, finding the best way to use everybody's uh, uh, skills is, is one of the big things. And then, you know, I just, it was hard for me to figure out, I'm just used to writing everything myself. So it was to figure out like how to get you know, and, and I used to have to rewrite, like one, this is just a little thing that might be interesting, like we would break the stories pretty in detail and then each writer would go off and write the outline. But what would happen is sometimes like in those two or three days they're writing the outline, like they might kind of wander off a little bit, like there's just something about being alone, like they would kind of, so now what I do is I break them into a team and I'll take like three or four of the writers and I'm like, you're team 206 and there's somebody who's leading that process but she, he or she will have a th- two or three people and they'll write the outline kind of all together and those outlines have come in much stronger because they have that hive mind of people to b- bounce it off of. It's also much faster. So I just like have tried things but you know I learned for me I learned how to run the show I learned how to run a room for the writers I knew I learned how to you know be in editing from the editors I learned how to and you really welcome like I really welcome an opinionated person I may not listen to them (laughs) but like when you have an editor you want to be able to say to them like how would you do this and then often you say well I don't want to do that I want to do this uh, and I'll often say to them, I want it to be this way so much. Do it so much so that it embarrasses you. Like, you almost have to turn in your card. You know, like, <laughs> if I have a really specific thing, I want them to sometimes to go up to the edge of what they consider acceptable sometimes. Um, and, but I want them also to say to me, hey, that's crazy. That's, let me show you this. I, I want that conversation, you know. And so it's, it's always a fine line between when you're super collaborative, you have to find ways to to take in good ideas and then find diplomatic ways to, uh, and I don't, you know, sometimes one of the tiring things is at the end of the day, you have said to people a lot, no, 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 no. And you've also said yes, 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 yes. But the yes, yes, yeses are not exhausting, but the no's Mm -hmm. are exhausting. And because... I had a rough night last night after making a person cry. You know... uh, Hold on. (laughs) As one does. Who did you make cry? It wasn't Tony. No, there was... There was a writer that I said, I, I, it was a really hard day. I pulled her in. I said, you know, you were just, like, not there today. And she started crying, you know. And then you're like, but it's fine, because it was fine. But then I went home, and I felt like shit. And my husband, like, gave me a pep talk and, you know, said, you, because I was, then you go into self-doubt. You're doubting everything. And you hate to always be the bad guy who nobody likes. And that's the other thing. When you run a show, suddenly you're in your office at the end of the day, and nobody comes in. <laughs> like, they, they, or they knock, and they want to talk about a scene, and you just want to talk. But then, then I have to be like, you guys, anybody want to come into my office? Like, nobody's my friend anymore. But then today, it was interesting, the woman that cried came to me and said, Thank you for saying that. I had no idea. And today, by the way, she was on fire. 
You know, so sometimes you need to, to sort of kick somebody in the butt, and it's my job, and all of those things. But it's a lot of times not fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I love to hear about uh, saying no in diplomatic ways, whether it's to writers pitching in the room, whether it's to executives giving notes. Uh, do you guys have techniques for this? Do you want to give them away? I, I'm, I'm not good at it, but I'm not good at it. But there's not time. There's not that much time no. to be so diplomatic, and yeah. you use so much of your energy. So I try to just say, "You're going to know if I like it. You're going to know if I hate it." But what happened? And if I hate it, I always like to put in notes in the document, and they're always in caps lock because so you could see them. But it always seems like I'm screaming at people. <laughs> um, so I understand that. Right. So then I'll be. But what happens is I'll get something in. And it's like 10 o'clock at night and it's, say, a design for something. All you want to do is love it, right? Mm-hmm. All you want to do is say mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And it comes in and it looks like nothing like what right. you imagined. So it's 10 at night and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. So then, then, <laughs> so then it, I've got my caps lock on and I'm like, here's the things that I de- definitely do not respond to. <laughs> and then, and then I, I do them all in a big thing and I think I'm so clear. Then I hit send. Then... Um, I think, oh, I haven't, I haven't said everything. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I, wonder, I should have underlined the thing that was the most important. So then I write another email. Like, it's like swingers, where I'm like, so, um, sorry, just to reiterate, this is the most important thing. And then the, the, here's some Pinterest int- uh, pages that might help you guide you. Then, and, and, and all in caps lock. And then I'll, I'll get to the third email. And the third email is, like, I'm really sorry if my tone was a little bit too harsh. <laughs> I'm just very tired and everything, so I just want to reiterate we're all on the same page. And Jamie put, like, my husband put a delay on my emails, you know, because I'm like, so so because because I fire them off, and then I'm like, ah, and then you get an apology right after. So then, then now, but then what happened? He put a minute delay, and everybody thought that was going to be great, but then. I'd be like, did you get my email? Like, it wasn't, nobody was responding. Nobody was responding. I'm like, there's nobody listening to me. This is, I got an urgent email. I wrote back and now nothing. So then, now I think, now I have a 30 second delay on my email. So it gives me like enough time to be like, they get it that you didn't respond. Like, just take, like, rewrite the whole thing in lowercase and like, it'll all go back. But it's like, it's the psychodrama of my day every day are these emails. The other thing is finding people that, to work with that you communicate with. Like, our lead editor is somebody who, like, you know, sometimes I'll be giving him notes and the note will just sometimes, sometimes say, dude. Yeah. You know, like, right. will you just develop a shorthand with someone where they know and you can be oh, funny yes. and, like, you know, you. I like to have a sense of humor about it and say, like, you're killing me with this. What's happening? Are you smoking pot over there? Like, I like but to it's be... it's caps lock, it's yeah. not funny. No. It's not caps as funny at all caps. <laughs> I want to ask... I was say, in terms of time, like, when you read a draft or you get a cut, I now have, like, a clock in my head that says, this is how much time I'm going to have to spend f- working on this. Immediately. And so that's what you develop is, like, oh, this is a, this is this a draft that means... Hour. Yes, a, yes, yeah. yes. And so that's... You, you d- really develop a thing of, like, once you get this piece of material, yeah. you know what your next couple days are going to be like based on how much work it needs. Yeah. So you're so grateful... When something comes in and it's perfect, oh, my yeah, God. Oh, my God. you're just when you something comes in and it's perfect. Oh, I'm gonna give that. Uh, yeah, that's done. That Nailed. Oh. Nailed. Exactly. Nailed. It. So if you're on staff with these guys, just be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Super easy. I want to before we move too far away from it, uh, Corinne. I want to ask you, 
What is it like being on the other side of one of Jenny's shouty emails? <laughs> well, I will say I actually adopted that technique. Because I never thought, I never thought of it as shout. I mean, it was, you're just delineating from the rest of the text, which is lowercase. So that's that what way, I think. You know, that's what Jenny said. That's not what the notes say. Um, I would do that, too, because it's really useful to keep the room going if, you're gone, if, I'm, if I'm on set or I'm editing or to keep the room going. And, be, and, and you can do it at 3 in the morning, which is when I, I mean, that's when yeah. I catch up on everything, sadly, is in the middle of the night. So that's that. So that way, there there can be a response, and they can be moving forward the next Do you day while you're doing something else. Not to be the crazy person who sent it. Like if I have something I at three, that. you have. I'll, so you're 100%. like, it's, it says fucking three twenty. Who All cares? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I sometimes write ago. the email, yeah. which is like. Wow, she emailed me about the, you know, what kind of candy bowl they had at 311. Oh, yeah. I'm really concerned about that. Sometimes her. I'll get an email back and I'll be like, oh, somebody wants to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I called like one of the produ- one, one my line producer, he he responded back to me at like 4:45 and I wrote back, I'm like, "You're up?" He's like, "You're up." I'm like, "Well, let's get, what are we emailing? Let's get on the phone." <laughs> Uh, I, want, I, I adopted that because it was useful. I also use the same, the same thing with your punch-up, like how everyone would read the scripts and do punch-ups and trends and anything for clarity. I do the same thing and then collate all of those notes. And oh. I, I mean, I have cribbed every one of your Uh-oh. techniques pretty much um, and cuts as well, all of that. So makes it really... Yay. That's great. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I wanted to ask, we, we started out talking about pitching. I wanted specifically to ask about doubt. Can you tell us about pitching that show, John? So I was an actress once. Um, when I was on Grey's, I was talking to Peter Horton, you know, hunky 30-something Peter Horton, who was directing Grey's. And I said to him, he was like, blah, 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 what did you... I said, well, I was, a, you know, an unsuccessful actress. And he goes, well, you're still unsuccessful. <laughs> so, I'm an, so anyway... Uh, you know, like in my 20s. And so when I pitch, I'm like on my feet and I'm like acting out the parts and running around the room. Like I, I'll say to myself, I'm going to sit in my chair this time. I'm not going to get up. It's unseemly. Nobody wants to see it. Me like a crazy person in their face, but I can't help myself. So doubt just came about because it was like, all the things my husband and I, you know, love. We wanted to do a law show. We wanted to do criminal defense. And it just kind of, it was one of those things, you know, you sit and you stare at a wall and try to think of an idea, and they're all bad. And, but then, then an idea comes. It was like that. It was, it was like that. Well, let's take that apart a little bit. Um, why a law show and why criminal defense specifically? So I had done McGray's Anatomy for 10 years. And I loved the practice. Like, I loved the practice. I missed it. I just missed it. So I wanted a criminal defense law show. And it seemed like a lot of the shows these days were about getting the bad guys, you know, ever since 9-11. So it felt like time. And, and I, you know, wanted, you know, to sort of create a show about, like, a lefty lion kind of thing. Like that. And I also wanted to do a thing. I was reading that, you know, the Memphis Five, Memphis Three? What is it, five or three? Three. So that Damien Eccles, do you know that he was in jail and this woman saw the documentary, the, you know, whatever it was called, Paradise Lost, in New York. She's like a woman living in New York. She saw the documentary and knew in an instant that she was in love with him and like went left her good job in New York and went to visit him in jail and for like seven years or something they can't and 
then they fell in love. So anyway, I was fascinated by that. Like, what would some, you know, sort of regular seeming person living their life falling in love with somebody in jail? And so that was sort of what we started talking about, the impetus. I wanted to see what that relationship was like, and that's... That's interesting. And so how does it start to take shape? Is it is it you and Tony in conversation all day? Is it around the house? Do you leave the uh, house? What um, does it look like? Yeah. I mean, when you're trying to come up with a pitch, it's it's like a, it you can't stop. Like, it's so... Because it's so hard and it's so all-consuming, which is why I think you just avoid it till, like, you can't anymore. Because you know once you're going to go into that, it's so painful, I think, because... Half the ideas you come up with don't work. I mean, you know, the process of coming up with a thing can be really hard. But anyway, yes, we do it around the house. We do it. Then we, you know, go into, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. do it. (laughs) Uh, And how long is a pitch for you? About 30 minutes. And I write it out. I write it all out. But then... I've practiced so many times that I just, but you know, I need that for, you know, because sometimes you lose your place. Um, Barbara, I wanted to ask about pitching a couple of shows. Um, Was Madam Secretary a tough pitch? Um, No, because it was a little bit pre-sold. The way it came to me was through um, uh, Nina Tassler and uh, uh, Morgan Freeman's company, Morgan Freeman and Lauren McCreary, who runs this company, had decided that they wanted to do a show about a female secretary of state that also included her home life. Mm -hmm. And so they just wanted to see this character both at work and at home. Um, and uh, and they brought it to me. You know, is this an arena you're interested in? And and I um, decided I was, but there was only one way I wanted to do it. Uh, um, because for me, when you first decide whether or not you do a show, or ha- when you come up with a pitch, it's you need to see at least five, preferably ten years mm-hmm. of this story. Um, because I think the worst thing to do is sell a show, get it on the air, and realize, oh, we got one season, and then we're done. So, um, so you, so I figured, well, okay, I, I, for me, I have to find what I'm passionate about or why I feel TV needs it, even even on that level. And I think that's a, that's a great question to have to answer, though. Yeah, is I, why should this exist? Yes, why should this exist, and would I watch it? You'd be surprised how many people might not ask that question. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, uh, and so, what? interested me about that show was it had several elements I was interested in. One was a woman in a a man's world, of course, uh, a fish out of water, which I made her by making her not a politician. She comes from the CIA. CIA is just an arena I'm interested in anyway, coming from a family who has military and intelligence history. So I'm interested in all of that. Um, But the context was what I was really interested in because I, I, I... feel strongly that it's really hard to understand a woman's journey in a job like that unless you can see the whole picture. The problem is not doing the job. The problem is coming home after the job and being able to, you know, uh, be strong when you need to be strong and, and, you know, soft when you need to be soft and be able to access all these parts of your personality. Because that is a particular challenge for women, I think. And, um, and, uh, and so that wanted to sort of show that world, you know. And um, and I also wanted to show 
process because I'm very interested in, in sort of revealing process. I'm, I'm interested in giving context to things so that you we get to see what the Secretary of State is up against when she has to do something. It's not, you know, because a lot of times we just see result in the news. We didn't get to see what all the steps were along the way. And that part was fun for me and the idea that we could go into international stories and reveal the process to people. Um, and, you know, so then when I put all of those things together, I felt very strongly about putting her in a marriage that worked um, because I was interested in showing what uh, a marriage that works looks like. It's not, it's not simple. You know, they still have tensions and stresses and stuff, but the tensions and stresses for them are unique. They have to do with, wait a minute, did your Defense Department thing mess with my State Department thing, you know? Um, and then finally, I was interested in the whole idea of, of lives of public service because I know that when one person serves, everybody serves. And I'm so interested in people who really do um, choose that for themselves and the ideology behind that. Um, and so it had several elements that that, that was passionate about because I think that's key to a pitch. You need to find what you're passionate about this that relates so oftentimes to your own life. And then as long as I can make it funny in places, I'm happy. <laughs> That's a lot of big ideas to try to distill yeah. into a pitch, though. So yeah. what, is, what does that pitch look like eventually? Well, the pitch for me, I'm an English major, so mine looks like a I present my thesis and then support it. You know, it looks like a, a research paper. But, but really, what it, I, I have a conceit usually that I like to pitch, and because I like to make it clear for people and for myself and for people I bring in to, to work on the show, I, to make the template clear. And the template is, this is a three-pronged approach to storytelling, which is every episode will have an international incident that we will resolve probably within that hour. Um, we will have a staff story, because I was very interested in the whole idea of the workplace of the State Department probably looks like anybody's workplace. Like, even in the State Department, somebody's upset about their parking space and their office and their stapler, you know. And so I wanted to get to, to do that, another aspect of context. And then the third part was the uh, personal life, a, a personal story. And so once I had that, once I understood that for myself, I could say, okay, here's, here's the approach, here's the template to every story. Um, and it breaks it down for, and it gives every story sort of a mission statement in a way. And um, sure. yeah. Uh, one more question. Do you think when Hillary becomes president, <laughs> you are going to get a lot of credit? <laughs> I don't and know. how much I'll do you think you deserve? <laughs> Probably a lot. Um, you don't have to answer. Is that real? Okay. <laughs> so happy I don't really have to answer that question. <laughs> um, I wanted to come back to No Tomorrow, uh, Corinne, and talk about pitching that show. And uh, Barbara brings up an interesting point, which is can you see five, ten years of this show? And I'm kind of curious to talk about that with all of you, but I do first want to talk about pitching No Tomorrow. Um, again, it's a potentially tricky show to pitch. It's, it's a funny tone. Um, it's, it doesn't have an enormous hook, right? There are no superheroes, but it has a, a good one. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, it, was a, it was a really fun pitch because I wanted the pitch to to feel like what I, how I saw and heard the show in my head already. And I, again, taking a cue from Jenny, I kind of really knew what, what was going to happen in the pilot. And I was pitching largely the pilot. But I always start with something specific to my life that is the, that is the reason I wanted uh, I want to tell this story right now. Um, and I feel like if you, the times that I've tried to find, figure that out and I can't, it's just, just stop right there. I mean, that, that to me is, was, a, was a huge lesson um, early in, in trying to develop 
um, it should be it should be easy to figure out exactly what it is um, that that you personally connect to and that re- is resonant. So, um, but is it was that a- something you talk about in the pitch? Why it's personal to you? Yeah, that's what I start with. Okay. Why why uh, why I want to tell this story right now and what what it is that's specific to my life experience that makes it that makes it relevant and something I'm really excited about. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't always get into the the full nitty gritty. Maybe there's <laughs> extra details, but um, that I leave out. But um, yeah, it was a fun one. I'm in that like there's a there's a bit where uh, Evie, our main character, has a. Uh, and her on-off boyfriend, who who's a low talker and is and has to be, you know, they say, oh, wish he were subtitled, and, and he is, um, because he's so. So we we did that, but that was in the pitch, and I actually demonstrated it in the pitch, like how he would talk and he would, it would be undecipherable, and then what the subtitle would say, and you know, just to get a sense of what the what the feeling of the show um, would be. But it was it was, and then I just had this sort of like. Uh, mission statement of how the show is all about living in the moment and finding joy and 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 realizing that our time here is finite and precious and just did this whole thing and then Tom Sherman stood up and he's like I gotta go I'm out of here like he just like he was gonna walk out of the you know he was like playing playing along so I knew it was going well um but uh yeah it was it was it was one that that just kind of it was a fun one it, it was probably half an hour or something and I didn't uh, I'm never totally off book I, I, that makes me too nervous I, I don't have any kind of performing background and I basically just read the pages but I look up sometimes and try to make it sound conversational <laughs> even though it's pure, purely a recitation Do you for something like that which is much more comic than it is dramatic I mean doubt or something like that I can understand sort of walking them through the pilot or at least a lot of it do you does it feel more like a comedy pitch where we tend to pitch characters and situations rather than walking through an entire pilot? I, I did both. I mean, I really I went through the the major plot turns and of the of the pilot, but I also kind of stepped out all the characters and little bits and what their backstories were and how they would interact with each other. And um, of course, there's so much that you find in the writing too. It wasn't like it was all there. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a Jenny pitch where it was like every single, but. Um, but yeah, it was much. It was very different than, than pitching a drama, um, and uh, and of course I had to have an answer for well, what happens in eight months and twelve days, and what's the show after that? Do you want to just tell and us? I'm not telling you, oh. <laughs> but there is a plan. Yeah, um, I had a good. We we were pitching the thing. We had. I don't do. I sort of have an idea of what I'm going to do, and I have it written out, but I don't practice it or anything because I will start to sound like. I'm in the road company of Annie, and I will start being like, no, 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 no. So I try and keep it live. So, but I had a few jokes that I had told every time in the pitch, and I didn't. In movies, your agent does not come with you to anything, but in TV, your agent will weirdly come to you really? with you to what? pitch us. What? Yeah. I'm never, me so, <laughs> and then sometimes we had two agents with us. So. I had a thing. I had a joke. Now I'm mad at our agent. So I'm so upset. So level level. I had a joke that I was doing in every pitch, pretty much, and so my agent Joe had heard it a bunch of times, but I bobbled the the on ramp to it. Like I bobbled the setup to it, and if I'd been on my own, who would have noticed? I just was going to run by it. But I got up and I bobbled it, and he made the sound that you would make when your child made an own goal. He literally made the sound that was like. Oh. <laughs> Which nobody would have noticed that I had messed uh, up, except that he was my dad surrogate when the corner was like, oh boy, messed that up. Um, and we, ra- we, we, ra- we laughed and laughed about that forever. Because, you know, if you've heard the pitch a million times, then you can discern the difference. But the other thing when we pitched was that 
because I'm not a performer, when I, I'm in a cold room, I start packing up my Ginsu knives and putting them away. Like, I know this is not a sale. We should just pack this up and go. Um, but Rachel is a performer, and she's a stand-up, and so she, in, when she's in a cold room, she triples down. So the, the best pitches we had, Rachel did not speak in, and the worst pitches we had, she was like... Like had to get the hook and take her out because she was not going to leave until they laughed. And, and they were not going to no. laugh. As a writer, you know, this like it's two bad. minutes into it, you're like, no, no, we're going. We and we. Well, thanks, anyway. We, 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 pitched nine, we pitched it nine times, so we were, it was a lot, wow. yeah. I'm curious to hear from all of you about terrible pitches, oh, uh, either in the room, on my life on you this. know, in in a writer's room or to uh, you know buyers. I had the worst. I mean, one of the worst pitches of my life on this because I had come from. I mean, people had been asking me to do TV, and I don't know what I expected when I finally pitched it, but um, I thought people would be receptive <laughs> and excited to see me. <laughs> And I also had sent them three of Rachel's videos, which I thought, that, which is a total of seven minutes of, of programming, and I thought they would watch it. <laughs> so we showed up at our first pitch. They had not watched her videos or Googled her, which seems so strange to me. She's on. She's coming to sit in your room. They'll do it after. They were not. Imp- there was no marching band for me because I had finally decided to do television. <laughs> and you can tell by the amount of chit chat that comes in whether this is going to happen or not, and how much you have to go away. Start, you know, like, oh, we're just chatting, having such a good time. We should start pitching. There was no chit chat, and sh- it was Rachel's first pitch, and she had no idea how bad it was. <laughs> but I knew right away that it was very bad, and that. I had failed to understand that I needed to present her to them and say, this is Rachel Bloom, and these are her videos, and her videos are like this, and let me describe. Because I just thought they would have watched it. So we were in a very cold room which people, with people who did not want to buy it. Their boss, was a, who was my friend, was about to get fired. And we had the coldest, weirdest. And, that was, and she literally broke, became a, a human beam of sunshine, just emitting charm <laughs> that I knew was going to be wasted. And so we, I got her out of there. And the next day, <laughs> she showed up for our next pitches. And she had not slept at all, not a wink. And she sort of staggered over to my car to go to the next set of pitches. And I said, she said, I did not sleep at all. And I said, do you think it's because we had that horrible pitch? And she said, no, no, no. I just think I, you know, I haven't been feeling great. And then we went to a pitch where she was great. And then we drove to the to shutters and she fell asleep for two and a half hours. And then we got up and went to the next thing. But I was so angry that she had not been... I don't really... I've been doing this so long. And being in a cold room for me is like, whatever, I'm just going to go. But I was so upset that this pers- this young person who had not been in these, this room, these rooms ha- was not embraced. And I found that that was a, a hard thing for me, was like, I'm, I'm, f- I'm so bulletproof at this point to being in bad pitches, but it would really, it would really hurt me for her when they were not uh, open and receptive and excited about her. And, of course, those people now cross the room to gush over her, you know, so... That was one of my worst ever in anything. <laughs> what about the rest of you? I'm curious to hear, again, from writers' rooms or from uh, selling. My worst was when I first moved here because we had, I had a writing partner at the time and we had just moved from New York to L.A. and we were going to go meet people and pitch a little bit. And I don't know what happened, but right before the meeting I got really homesick. 
<laughs> so like, <laughs> they were asking us like, I feel very emotional. So I, they were like, um, how do you like LA? And like, literally I go, I just really miss my mom. <laughs> My writing partner's next to me, and she's like, and I'm like, <laughs> I just like, you know, everybody's back in New York, and like, we're here. So she tries to like take it away by like segueing into the traffic we had over there, which got me talking a little bit about the weather and how, like, in New York, like, there's seasons and stuff. Like, and, and then, like, we started to tell the story. But, like, I did weep about how much I missed my mom. And I was like, it's not even like we're that close, you know? It's just that I've never lived that far from her. Amazing. And then we left. And, like, we, were, we left and we walked out. And, and we're just sort of, like, quiet. <laughs> like, what the fuck was that? I, was like, I don't know. I don't know. It just happened. I don't know. <laughs> really had a crisis. <laughs> Amazing. I remember one of my first job interviews, sort of like a pitch. You're pitching yourself. I'm really dark, right? I'm dark. <laughs> And they needed people on Felicity. And I love Felicity, right? Remember Felicity? But I wanted Felicity (laughs) to fall down an elevator (laughs) and lose a leg. You did not. Lose a leg. You know what? You pitched that in your staffing meeting? I did. To Jennifer Levin. It was like season 100. And I was like, this will freshen it up. She'll have a new it's they not a must air anymore. anymore. They almost got canceled when she cut her hair. I know. I don't think a prosthetic. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, I was like to my husband, I was like, I think this is cool. They'll get our vibe. <laughs> <laughs> they got our vibe. Amazing. You guys have established for us how important it is, if we are working for you, to be perfect. Yes. Um, what, are, what are common mistakes that a new writer makes on the page or in the room? And how can we avoid them? Um, on the page is, is, um, is too slow, too long. It's, it's, always, it's always too much, too long, too, too long to get to the story, too long to, to get going. Right. It's like, hello, how are you? Uh, I like your shoes. Yes. Um, it's always would that. you like to come in, have a seat? You know, it's, like, it's always that. Yeah, I would say it's, it's mainly that. That's, that's one thing you learn. All right. What about in the room? When you have staff writers in the room, what do they do that makes you cringe? You know, I, I talk... What did you... Like, so, you know... I talk to my staff writers, and they kind—they're of, smart people, and they go to a staff writer thing that the Writers Guild holds, and they learn how to be a staff writer. Like there's—they—they they don't do those mistakes that you hear about, or at least, you know, like don't talk too much or don't talk too little. You know, they—they're—I understand how hard it is to learn. It's like learning a foreign language to learn how to write. You can be a great writer, but you don't know how. It's a thing to write an hour long and to find somebody's particular voice. It's a fucking learning curve. So, you know, they make mistakes. Nobody makes gargantuan mistakes. They're all just trying so hard to to have you go, oh, I like that. You know? Well, it sounds like a big mistake could be don't try. (laughs) Yes. I've seen it. You know, know, I think it's important, and we talk to our writers about this, because this is what I learned when I was uh, trying to figure out how to do what Josh Brand would do if he had time, 
which was, and again, going for the carrot of, if I get it right, he will shoot my words. That's the big, and so my motivation was, I would just study his scenes. Yeah. I would just take a script that he had said, this is ready to shoot, and just study the scenes, and, and say, uh, you know, well, it starts here for why does he start there? Why does it, you know, how does it build? I feel that scenes, even if they're this long, you know, a quarter of a page long, uh, have a beginning, middle, and an end, and they have a purpose, and they have a point. And, and a lot of times, as they were saying, scenes will meander. It's really important for, for writers to understand what a scene is, what makes a scene, and that begins, I mean, then what makes a story is, is, is the hardest thing to learn. But, um, but one of the things you can do is just study uh, the template that somebody, their showrunner has set for you. Study the scenes, study the scripts like their homework, I, I think is a good thing to do. I also, we always do, I have this real fixation with the therefore but test. Does anybody else do this? Mm-hmm. I got it from the Kings on The Good Wife, and they got it, I think, from, I, they heard it from like Stone, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Stone. Parker, yeah. yeah. That between any two scenes, you should be able to say therefore or but. If it's an and, then you just have sort of a, you're not actually advancing the story. You're just, this happens, also, this happens, also, then you're just. But if you can say therefore or but, like, this happened, therefore, the next thing, there's a causal relationship from one thing to the next. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, And it works every time. So that's. That's what I'll just come in and say. Oh, we've got three ands here. What's how are we how are we actually advancing the story? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Either with a therefore or a but. Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm Gabrielle. Um, my question is about working with studio and network partners. What skills do, you, do your favorite network and studio execs exhibit, or you wish they did? So, when you're working with someone in development or current, what are some great things you've seen, and some things that you wish you had seen? I love it when a note is, um, has a real has a is very specific in terms of what a possible fix would be, and it's always even if it's the bad version, because like a really vague meandering note, I, I just literally be like, tell me tell me the bad version, so I understand what the actual intent of the note is, even if that's not the actual fix, because I I just can't read tea leaves sometimes, mm-hmm. so I, I love a very specific, not this but like this. Mm-hmm. Can you guys think of? helpful notes that you got on the shows that we are talking about here tonight? Whether it's part of the development process or once the show is sort of up and running? So we got this great thing where we shot Doubt like two years ago. And they liked it, but they didn't love it. And we got an opportunity to see what didn't work and fix it. And there was some stuff that I was like, this is genius. And it wasn't. (laughs) And we got the opportunity. So for instance, you know, these characters were like hot and heavy right off the bat. But then we hadn't gotten a chance to know them or like them. So we got to, so anyway, uh, I don't know if that is answering your question (laughs) at all. But I did get this great opportunity to see what wasn't working. And I got the executives to kind of be all in and, and want to redo it. I mean, one thing that might be helpful if you're, I don't know if you're a writer, but it's, it's the best collaborations with executives, I think, are when you know what you're doing. I think they get uncomfortable when you are, feel like, when they're talking to someone who feels like they're drifting in the breeze. <laughs> and, you know, if you're very definite about, like, it, it needs to be this, this is what we're doing, then they can sort of tell you whether you got there or not. 
You know what I mean? It's like, I want to be wearing a denim shirt with white jeans and, and black heels. So then if you have set out a goal and you show up in a gingham romper, well, it's not bad. That's not what you said you were doing. And they can point to something specific. And you can say, well, I told you I was doing the denim shirt with the white jeans and the black heels. Like, the, the more specific and, and coming from a point of view you are, I think the better those relationships are. And it seems like, if I can just tie this, you know, thematically, it's kind of back to what you were saying, Jenny, uh, even about the pitch itself, is knowing what that thing is and being so clear with your target, and it's going to help your executive collaborators, the writers who are working for you, everyone working for you. Um, Let's let's get these last questions real quick. Hi. I'm Kelsey. Uh, My best work friend and I are both finishing up our first years and going into our second years, so what were your very first jobs? Because we're a little lost, (laughs) so we want to know how you got here. I'm going to alter that question. It's a good question. I'm going to alter it a little bit, little bit to ask you, what is the first thing you got paid to write, and how did that happen? And I'm going to ask you to uh, answer it succinctly. Uh, let's start with you. Well, the first Barbara. thing I got paid to write was a, was a, a poem in Teen Magazine when I was 15. <laughs> I got, I got $10. Awesome. Maybe 15 But it, anyway, but it really was when I went, oh, oh, I see. Oh, yeah, I'm professional. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but then the first thing I ever got paid to write in television was I started as a comedy writer, so the first thing I ever got paid to write uh, was I sold a pitch to Family Ties. Uh, was Gary. it a freelance episode? It was a yeah. I went okay. in and I, I pitched. I had written a novel uh, and and that was my um, sample, <laughs> I don't know. and um, and that and a play. It was a very different time. No one can <laughs> learn from my story. I always say that there is nothing to learn from my story. It's, it's funny. I mean, um, just to cut in for a sec, that's yeah. sort of come back around. The oh, more I'm, I talk to I'm, showrunners, it's the more I hear they've touched we'll anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah. you know, the, I think. And you know, I think you should have a breadth of experience and a, and a breadth of understanding of different kinds of writing, you know. And so, um, and I, I continued to write novels and publish them. So, so that nothing that wasn't lost. But I mean, it also got my my first drama writing job. I wasn't crazy about the comedy room writing process, so I wanted to change to drama, which was not an easy thing to do. And the only sample I had was a novel, and Josh Brown was willing to read a novel, and so that's how I made the transition. So that's my story. That's great. Joe? So I was an unsuccessful actress (laughs) in New York and started writing plays and my husband was a theater director and we were living in New York and we were broke and we watched Felicity on TV in my respect. It all comes back to Felicity. But anyway, we had a kid, we were living in a fifth floor walk up, we were broke. And I was like, let's go to L.A., so we wrote this Felicity spec, like by studying online, like getting scripts and, st- you know, like crazy people. And it took us, I remember our first, it took us like three months to write this spec. And the first job interview we got was with Sean Cassidy on this USA show called Cover Me when we got out here. And he said, are you guys fast? And I said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we can write a script in three months. <laughs> I was like, three months. That's it. And we got high. I don't know. He hired us. So, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, that's what we did. Um, 
Um, I, after college, I wrote a book with my um, college roommate called A Coed's Companion. We sold to Pocket Books, which is a division of Simon & Schuster. We split $15,000, which evaporated instantly in, in Manhattan. Um, and then I wrote a spec script that I sold to New Regency about a year and a half after that. How long did you work on that spec script, and how did you get it to New Regency? Um, it's a kind of a long story. I wrote a script in a... Uh, I took an NYU class. The short version is I took an NYU class. I had an amazing teacher who then read that script three times, which is too much to ask of a person. And that um, got to New Regency, and the very first deal I made was to do a blind deal at Universal based on someone had liked that script, and I got a blind deal at Universal, so that's the first time I got paid, and that's what I got into the Guild with. And it was funny, because I was 23... And I got paid guild minimum for that first job, and it was $57,500. I think now it's like $117,000 or something like that. But $57,500 in 1990... It's like the most well, money in the world. was like, I'd won the lottery, and everybody I know immediately came to my house for falafel pasta. It was like every 20-year-old, like every friend that we had lived in my apartment for three years, and there was just bowls of free food everywhere because it was like... This, this windfall, and um, I, I really learned on the job how to do the job. I mean, I really, you know, I had sort of early success getting my foot in the door, and then from the time I, like, wrote that screenplay, I was 21 or 22 or something, and the first thing I shot was a, an ABC pilot. Um, it's a long story, but it was a it was a planted spinoff of Margaret Cho's show, and I was like 26 or 27 when that happened, and I'd never been on a stage before. I did not know where Crafty was. I did not know what they were talking about. Um, so it took me about five years to get anything made, and then it took me seven years to get the first movie made. And I remember walking on this, on the stage at Warner, at Warner Brothers and thinking, "Wow, if you had told me that, you know, seven years later, you'd be walking." to see your first movie, I would have thought, are you kidding me? Seven years? (laughs) Seven years? So um, I started working right away, but it took a long time to kind of get, you know, and I did three pilots that didn't go anywhere before. We'll we'll do that panel another time. (laughs) Jenny? Um, I was in New York uh, writing plays, and my college roommate came back from giving massages on the beach in Puerto Vallarta um, and, uh, and asked me if I wanted to uh, start writing TV with her. And she said, um, she was very, very rich, so she said, uh, I'll pay you to not work for two months, and we'll, we'll write some specs. So we wrote, I was like, sure, TV, yeah, no problem. And um, uh, we wrote, like, a Law and Order and a Sex in the City and an Everybody Loves Rain. We just thought, you got you to gotta show them you got it all. <laughs> Then we then we knew one person in LA and we just sent him all of our material like you're welcome and then um, uh, and then he, we came out and then you know people were like well you gotta kind of like pull it you know pull it but we had meetings and stuff so we decided to stay and then I waitress Did you, you get meetings off of those spec scripts that you wrote yes I don't sure. know how no that um, used to happen yeah um, and uh, so they they said well, you should stay in LA so we stayed in LA and I wor- worked at Houston's. Um, and then I'd go have meetings at Fox, and I'd be like, Arnold Palmer, iced tea. Just, like, knew everyone. Um, and then my first, and then that, so I was waitressing for that year, and then um, we got a job that, at the end of that year, and they said, oh, you got a job on a staff. It was my first staffing job, first anything. Hope and faith. You're going to have to go back to New York. And I was like, just hold, the, hold on. I just have to make sure I can transfer Houston's, because, you know, I've got my health insurance. <laughs> And like I, I just wanted to make sure like we could we could do that. And the, the agent was like, you have to say yes before you call Houston. Like, 
you're not going to waitress anymore. It's going to be like, this is it. And I was like, I got the health insurance. And plus, like, if it didn't work out, I had seniority. I was running the bar, you know, it was like, oh. Um, so then I went back to New York and um, the girl who I, who I gave my my bedroom in the you know three bedroom apartment she was leaving so I moved like right back into my old room and everything and yeah yeah did you and you never had to go back to waitressing had to or get to no um uh, no no but I had done my time because my mom's a caterer so like I had been waitressing my entire life and every three months or so like after I would take all these I'd take go to college for a year come back go to college go back to New York and pursue other interests go back to college so every, all, when I was in New York, I'd always be waitressing, and I'd always, like, be great, you know, on the track, and then, like, every three or four months, I'd be, like, carrying a hot hors d'oeuvres, and I'd be like, Mom, I just don't know what I'm doing in my life. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's working out, and I'm waitressing, and she's like, take that food out. That's probably why I had all that, like, anxiety with my mom. <laughs> I would have a breakdown, like, I can't, I can't, what am I doing? I went to Princeton, now I'm, what am I doing? And, yeah, and she'd just be like, can you take it out? And then, then it, like, I'd take a week off, and then I'd be like, I'm back, put me in. Your biggest party, I can, I, I can be the manager if you ask me to. Like, I mean, uh, that was terrible. <laughs> um, I, was in, I was an unpaid intern for David E. Kelly Productions um, right out of grad school, and then I um, ended up getting to, uh, I, was, I was an assistant, and I wrote a spec Boston Legal. I was so lucky I got to be privy to David's process, and he's such a genius. It's so brilliant and so kind, and I read everything I could of his, and I just took a stab at a spec Boston Legal and didn't have any idea how, I had no, I was too green to even know how crazy it was that I was like, hey, will you read this? Um, and uh, I mean, it was, I, I, I took my time. I was there for like a year and a half or so and never asked. I just diligently like did the Starbucks runs and everything. And then, but I was trying and I was, and I was planning and um, I wrote that script and I, and I would, I would just hope that he would give me some notes or, or help me. And he called me, uh, and said, I think we should buy this as a freelance and shoot it. And um, it was, you know, my Amazing. life changed in that phone call. And he, and he hired you to staff shortly after, right? Yeah, he did. And I should say, it wasn't that simple. Of course, it got, like, re- massively rewritten and a lot and worked it through with all these people so much uh, more skilled and more talented than me. But so it wasn't as simple as, like, send it to the set. But, like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it was the, it was a massive opportunity, and um, and yeah, he just he, it was it, it, I was on uh, I was the writer's assistant for the rest of that season after that freelance, and then I was on staff for the rest of the run, so through season five. All right, let's uh, very quickly get these questions. Hi, my question is for Corinne, but anyone I think if you can vote. How did you go from American Gothic to No Tomorrow, like balancing drama and comedy? Because that's something that I feel like a lot of writers struggle with. Um, well, I had, it was, one came from the other because I had spent some time, I, the way, the way the timing worked out, I had written American Gothic, uh, like January, 2015, turned it in and they were thinking about it for, as a summer, as a, like a 13 part murder mystery summer series thing. Um, and I, w- and I was working on Jane and I love Jane and I was having fun and I wasn't, um, and I was just waiting. We were just waiting. Remember? I kept thinking maybe today, maybe today. Oh, never, never found it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I was waiting, waiting, and then I met with Ben Silverman, who was is the EP on Jane, and is such, so brilliant at developing formats from other countries. And and he had um, he pitched me a bunch of great dramas, but I said, "What do you have for comedy?" Because I've just written this super kind of it's a dark 
heavy. It's a serial killer. So, um, and I wanted to, and I, I loved Jane so much, and I loved the joyfulness of it, and the, and the, and that it had such a blend of, of comedy and drama. And, it, and it, we got to do everything, and the room was fun, and it was funny, and I just I wanted that. So, um, so we talked about comedies, and he he told me the the logline of what is now No Tomorrow, the Brazilian format. And, and I, was, I, I, just, I was craving pure joyfulness in, in writing. And, um, and, I, and that came from working on Jane and, and, and then kind of doing something else, which was interesting and different and, and a great experience. But, um, but I just needed to go back to feed the joyful part. And you, and you do, if I'm not mistaken, have a mix of comedy and drama writers on No Tomorrow. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. That helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is there another question? No? Great. Guys, <laughs> uh, I want to start here uh, with you, Barbara, and tell me what you are watching on television these days. What are you enjoying? What are you excited about watching? Presumably, you are all watching each other's shows. We can skip that. It's given. Um, but what are, you, what are you enjoying these days? Oh, <laughs> um, it's really hard because what I do is do the show all day and then I come home and I feel like it's part of my homework to watch news all night. So what I do is I, I write politics all day, I watch politics all night until my head starts to hurt and then I watch Chopped. And then I get it. <laughs> I will say that, that up until that became my... my Cycle. Um, I I watched uh, I watched uh, Veep with great interest and and loved it so much that when we were shooting Madam Secretary, I and the director David Simmel and I were both such fans of Veep that we had to stop ourselves when we felt ourselves trying to turn our show into a comedy. No, no, this is a serious political drama. Um, but that was the you know I, I was I still am a big fan of that, and um, so good that I got John. So it's hard to watch TV because, so I watch Chop too and I fall asleep. Um, I look forward to my hiatus when I can watch TV. What, what is, what's piling up on the DVR for you to check out? So all the shows that everybody's talking about, you know, Stranger Things, I'm like, what's that? That sounds good. Uh, I yeah, I know some people don't can't watch TV when they're writing TV, but I don't feel that way. I can't read a book. Um, I love Stranger Things. I'm obsessed with the Americans. So is Jenny. I'm a Jane the Virgin super fan. Um, the I really, yeah. I mean, those are Stranger Things I watched in like, you know, three days with my kids, and and I really love that. And the Americans, I'm I'm almost caught up, and we, we watch that all as a family. And I just think it is. Uh. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just the, the level of writing and acting on that storytelling on that show is is really incredible. Um, there's just so much. There's so much good stuff. It's you could, yeah. So those, those are three good answers, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Americans is the show I watch live. I watch No Tomorrow. I watched it last night, and I love How it. How was the sound mix? <laughs> Wait, do you have Directv? I honestly don't do know. Work? I don't know what I have. I'm going to check with my husband. Did you um, hear the music? I did. Okay. I did. I got into a fight with the service provider, and I thought my husband wasn't being strong enough about getting somebody to our house to fix it that day, and so I kept going to managers and managers and managers, and finally they said, well, I think you should choose another provider, ma'am. 
so they and so Jamie was like, you took care of that. So now I don't know who what we have, but um, I know it was canceled. <laughs> they canceled it. <laughs> they didn't want my money. Um, uh, uh, so Americans, um, I just watched Atlanta and uh, Better Things, which I really liked, and I'm so excited for Insecure, which I keep reading about, and I can't I wait to see. Oh, I can't yeah, wait to see great. that. That's great. Great, Corinne. Um, I still watch Jane, and it's actually so it's so fun to watch as a fan, not knowing what's going to happen. Season two is, is so fun because I did kind of know, and yeah. I got to see it all unfold. Um, I, uh, I loved Stranger Things. I love Last Man on Earth. I, I, it just makes me so it's so weird and funny and specific <laughs> and interesting. Um, and I just watched the pilot of Fleabag. I want to see that. Great. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah. Please give everyone a round of applause. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming out. Thanks to all the CBS people for helping us out. Now leaving Nerdist.com.